Excellent. So, um, as silly as that stuff is, uh, we unfortunately, we get these weird ideas in our head about who Jesus is and even what he requires of us. And we have this idea that Jesus is out to kill our fun, kill our life, and yet that's the very opposite to everything that he preached. Everything that he preached was that there would be an abundant life, an abundant joy, and Jesus is revealing himself in his word through the writing of John, and he is reestablishing, I believe, in our hearts and our minds today who he really is. And if you hold who he really is before your face, everything else gets put into perspective. Because he is the way life was always meant to be and the way life was always meant to work. He is not some hashtag of WWJD. He is not one that is saying you have to just go to church all the time and if you ever miss, you're going to die. I remember one time my, uh, my dad um, representing Jesus uh, to me. Uh, he was a pastor, is a pastor, uh, and uh, he decided to tell me um, when I was seven, eight, and nine uh, that on my 12th birthday when I became a big boy, I could choose whether I wanted to go to church or not. And uh, when he told me that, I was like, oh, that's excellent. I get a choice. And so he, uh, my 12th birthday came, and by God's grace, it was on a Sunday. And I can remember in my head going, I'm turning 12 now. And so my dad came in, said, hey, Sam, get time to go to church. Let's go. And, uh, and I was like, <laughs> do you know what day it is today? How many people know what day it is today? Man, we're not excited at all. I said, how many, I, I, said, I said, do you know what day it is today? And he's like, it's your birthday. And I was like, do you know how old I am? As if he doesn't. He's like, you're 12. And I was like, you remember what you said when I was 12? And he said, yeah. I said, you could choose whether you wanted to go to church or not. And then I was like, well, I choose not to. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, you missed the point. You can choose whether you want to go in your jammies or whether you want to go with clothes. <laughs> He's like, get in the car now. <laughs> that was the story of my choice in church and uh, my whole world. So anyways, Jesus isn't exactly like that. More gracious. But, uh, but, but here's what I want you to see. You, do you know what, what's really interesting? The book of Revelation begins by saying that you are blessed you are happy, if you will. You are in sync with the kingdom of God just by hearing and reading aloud the words of the scripture of Revelation. Is that not crazy? So some of the blessing I believe that we've been experiencing and feeling is because we're reading these scriptures out loud. We're not apologizing for the scary words that are in them. We're not saying that we're just gonna dance around certain things. We're trying to target who Jesus is and what he has revealed himself to be and align ourselves with that truth and debunk the myths about that get promoted like that little video there. And so this book is about Jesus Christ and it's by Jesus Christ. And Jesus reveals, he opens up, he lifts the curtain. Remember that word apocalypse before? He lifts the curtain. He opens the box, if you will, and shows what's inside. And the greatest revelation that we see in the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ is that Jesus is not at a distance. He is right in the middle of the churches. He's standing right in the middle 
of the situations and stuff that we are all going through on a regular basis. He is not the God who is far off. He is the God who is right in the center, right in the midst, right in our world. And often we feel that there is a distance and a frustration. And this is really, these letters to the churches really is spiritual direction about how we can fulfill the prayer of Jesus in John 17, the disciples could be in the world, but not of the world. This is a discipleship course, if you will, in how to become in, live in the world, but not be of the world. And so we're going to look at the message of Thyatira tonight. This is the center of the messages of the churches in Revelation. And this is where we get the most information about what Jesus is calling his churches to. And in particular, we see somebody take center stage in the middle of this world of churches that they are involved in. And we hear of a woman named Jezebel. Now, Jezebel, we don't know if there's no information about whether there was actually a lady named Jezebel who was in the church at the time in Thyatira and was causing all these problems with her false teachings. We don't know if this Jezebel was like an Oprah Winfrey. We don't know. Not funny. We don't know if, uh, I'm not implying anything. I just mean we don't know if she was actually real, historical, all those kind of things. All we know is that she embodies this actual historical figure named Jezebel. And she embodies the teaching and the world of this lady named Jezebel. Now, who was Jezebel? She was the daughter of one of the uh, enemy kings of Israel. And she marries some guy named Ahab. And this guy named Ahab was the king of Israel at the time. And she began to initiate something called Baal worship. And she convinced her husband, who was supposed to only worship and live in the kingdom of God, he was only supposed to worship Yahweh, which is the name for God. He was only supposed to worship Yahweh, and yet she convinced him to build a temple to Baal. This lady was so baller that she had so much money that she underwrote, provided for, covered the tuition costs, if you will, for 850 Baal worshipers. And all of a sudden convinced Israel, Baal, Baal priests rather, not Baal worshipers, Baal priests, 850. And she convinced everyone in Israel that if you use the name of Yahweh, that you would be executed. And that was what Elijah did battle with. Elijah did battle with that lady. And let me tell you about that lady. She obviously was scary because the only place we find that Elijah ran away was when she threatened to kill him. And he did the embarrassing thing, which is always embarrassing for people of that time to do. He hiked up his long skirt thing and literally to his loin area and ran, outran a chariot, which is pretty tight. Obviously, he's pretty fast. I don't know if you know what chariots are, but they're pretty fast. But he outran a chariot. And so Jezebel, so this is, this is the idea though, okay? This is the idea. That Jezebel worship, she was very scary. But Jezebel, not Jezebel worship, Baal worship in particular, 
the main point of Baal worship was to say that you could worship Yahweh as long as you're not saying Yahweh only. You could worship him and worship Baal and other gods at the same time. The main promotion that she, her main idea was that you could do both and worship. You could have Jesus and all of the things that you want. You could have Jesus, you could have Yahweh in this case, you could have God and these other false gods as well and there was no big deal. So Baal worship in particular, Baal worship works from a very interesting worldview, not uncommon to what most of us are living with. Baal worship works from the ethics of the way that things are. Okay? Their main posture is, well, this is the way things are. And so primarily, primarily, because I have certain drives and desires, they must be right. Baal worship was literally, if I feel it, it must be the way I was designed to walk this out. If I feel it, then it must be good. How could it be bad for me if it was not supposed to be that way? Because Baal was the nature god or the god, the fertility god, the god that produced life. He's a false god, but this idea was that if it feels like it should be natural, then that's the way you were meant to walk this out. Except Yahweh worship, worship of Jesus, works from a completely different narrative, a completely different story. Do you know that Christianity calls us to live from a completely different story, not based on the way that things are, but rather based on the way that they were in the garden and based on the way that they were one day being restored to become in the kingdom of God. Hear this, and you'll start to get how you can begin to live a different story in this generation. Is that it, it really, Christianity looks and goes, what was God's original design and his intention for the way this works best? And our story is to live from that place of going, no, this is the way that God designed it to be. And if he designed it, that means that it was meant to work a certain way and it wasn't meant to work according to our feelings and the way we want it to work. There was a design to it. A design to it. One time I got this, you're not going to know who this is, maybe you will, but I got this Davy Crockett rifle from Disneyland. Does anybody know who that is? And one day I wanted to build a tree fort. And I decided to use my legendary Davy Crockett rifle, which I loved, as a hammer. And do you know what happened to my Davy Crockett rifle? When I used it as a hammer, it was no longer a Davy Crockett rifle. It was a Davy Crockett splinter. It was not a rifle anymore because it wasn't designed to work that way. It did not have the weight and the capacity to become that. And this is, I don't want to get too personal with design issues right now. But if it wasn't meant to work that way, then whether I felt like it was going to be a good hammer or not, did not matter. Did not matter. 
And so the story of Christianity is meant to cultivate. The story of the Bible is meant to give you a different perspective, saying it's not going to look this way forever. It's going to be different. We are moving towards the God who is redeeming all things, and therefore we are to live from the space and the place of redeemed children of God. Not looking at just getting by with the way that things are. Not building our morality with, well, so-and-so does it this way and it kind of works out for them. But going, what is God's intention, his design, and his plan? And how is he causing things to be renewed and restored and recovered? And what kind of story is he building out? If you will, this life is practice for heaven. It's not, that might sound a little bit too trite, too simple, but the rhythm of this life is meant to, in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of delay, which is not denial, in the midst of joys and happiness and things getting complete, and then in the midst of things falling apart. We are meant to practice the language and the culture of the kingdom of heaven and believe that God is the restorer of all things and he is restoring things now and we are to participate in that restoration. Therefore, all mundane, boring, lame, things that you don't want to do are actually aspects of participating in the kingdom of heaven. Let's look at washing dishes for a second. What is washing dishes prophetically declaring? That we serve a God who cleanses us by the water of his word and he causes us to be made clean. He washes us. Do you know it says that in Corinthians? You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. And actually participating in that stuff isn't just going through the motions. You are actually disciplining your heart to participate in the very working of the kingdom of heaven. Crazy weird. I don't know if you've heard this before, but this is called sacramental living. The invisible made visible. Things, tangible aspects of the grace of God Tangible, sorry, invisible aspects of the grace of God that are made visible for us to participate in. Do you know that waking up every day can be looked at as prophesying the resurrection? That Christians, for the longest time, used to pray a creepy sounding bedtime prayer. Basically saying, and I won't say it because it still scares me, Lord, if I wake up tomorrow and you don't kill me in the night, I will worship and I will praise you and I will love you. Okay? That's the way I interpret that story. It's a little bit less scary. But do you know that they would do that because they didn't take it for granted that when they rose from their bed, they were actually going, God has given me a new day and a new life to walk in? This is new hope. New hope. When you are singing in a worship service with Christians, you have to know that you're being joined by all of heaven who is singing the praises of the king. That's why sometimes it feels like you get caught up in something more than just what's going on here. When you are creating anything, 
You are declaring the creative capacity of God because the enemy seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And so those that participate with that kingdom do crazy things like promote war and destroy everybody. That's not the spirit of Jesus Christ. There is an aspect of this. and I, I, I could go on about that all night. I'm, my journey right now is beginning to understand how I am participating in the kingdom of God, even in the times when it feels like I'm doing nothing spiritual. Because one of the biggest confusing things is that when you go on a mission trip, or when you go to camp, or you do something that you feel and know is a good thing, like you start reading your Bible and it's like, oh, I just feel like I, I've learned so much about Jesus. I feel so close to Jesus. Or a new song comes out and you're just like, oh, it just makes me love Jesus. We start thinking in our head, well, that must be the only things that really matter. And yet Jesus came to redeem all of life. And if he participated in it, it was good enough for you to participate in it. How many people think Jesus washed dishes? The answer is yes. Yes, he would have. How many people think that Jesus did a carpenter job? A laborer's job? We better say yes. Okay? How many th people think that Jesus ever went for a run? Or played some weird Jewish sport? <laughs> I don't know what they play. Yahtzee? No, sorry. <laughs> Well, it's not a sport. If you understand that, you'll understand what story you're creating. What would it, I think that there was a great question asked this morning by Josh, what would Jesus do if he was you in high school? That's a much better question because one of the biggest confusing things that that WWJD bracelet did is we keep thinking, what does Jesus do in the moment of pressure, in the moment when things really matter, in that moment when I'm being tempted with something, what do I do there, Jesus? What would you do? And yet, a better question to ask is, how did Jesus live his whole life? What did he do waking up? How did he live? Do you know Jesus at 12 years old, the one information that we have about him is that he sought to learn and study and he was obviously well-versed in scriptures at the time and he was concerned and consumed with his father's business. And Jesus did that while learning to be a carpenter. Learning the mundane things. You, you might not catch it now, but lots of you are going to struggle with the fact that you have a call of God on your life and you think the call of God means that you're going to be some superstar on a big stage as soon as you get out of high school. Or you're going to be some missionary that's really famous and all of a sudden YouTube sensation is like, look at what I can do. And yet, you miss the point that some of the greatest things in the kingdom of God obviously were the simple things. Because if Jesus had to live in for 30 years in obscurity where nobody knew his name, he didn't even travel very far from home. God obviously has a different idea or a different story than what you and I are constantly paying attention to. We look at the story of instant fame and Jesus goes, actually, I need you to be obedient to your parents because in that, you're going to further your call than anything you ever imagined. And we go, uh, no, parents were born so that we could just disobey them. Do you see what, I'm, see what I'm putting down here right now? Just This is not me 
trying to just tell you a bunch of things. You need to start imagining creatively if this is the God who loves and desires your attention and your affection, surely it's more than you just reading your Bible and coming to camp and praying once in a while. Surely it's more than that. Could he not be involved in the midst of your life? And could it be more than being led just by your feelings? Because apparently, feeling worship is Baal worship. And that means it's not Jesus worship. When you are living by your feelings and going, well, this feels good, so it must be right. I have heard that argument so many times when it has to do with boyfriends and girlfriends, and they're like, if it feels so good, how could it really be wrong? And so we embrace the phrase that says, it's not where's the line, it's when's the time. Because you've got one thing right, it does feel really good. It does feel really good to be touched and loved. But the key is it's when's the time. And Jesus has a better idea of time and the world continues to prove him right. So far, he's never been proved wrong. So far. Do you think you're going to be the one? Well, Jesus, you and I know. I know that everybody else is supposed to not be touching their girlfriends. But I'm different. But I'm different. I'm the exception, right? I'm the snowflake. (laughs) My mom says I'm unique. And you do too, don't you, Jesus? You see, (laughs) we could play this game all the time, but we would never say it publicly, but we live it. We live it, we just go, well, that might be true for those people over there, but with me, you know... It's probably going to be okay. No. Jesus, do you, let's, we'll move here from, I'll move on real quick. We'll come back to that. It says this, okay? Baal worship also is this. That Baal worship says I can do this because it's the way that I am. Do you know that Baal worship and what we're dealing with right now, with identity, with gender identity, and choosing your identity, that way is actually a form of what they would historically call Baal worship. So they go, well, this is the way I feel that I am. Therefore, it must be the way that I will do things. And so th- this, is, this is contrary to everything of who God is because God says you live in a broken world. And so it's not the way that it is or will be, rather. We're not to live from that place. It's not based on how we feel And we desire things. And there is no form of Christianity that has exceptions for these things. That's not called Christianity. Apparently, that's called Baal worship. And it's something Jesus does not like. He doesn't even like you to entertain it. Because you're asking the wrong question. Because the story the world is longing to hear is show us the way life was meant to be. Because we're broken and we're hurting and we don't know and so we're so confused. You know what's so dangerous to preach from your opinions and not from the word of God? 
is because your opinions change based on your stage of life. And that's why I try to keep my opinions at a low in preaching the gospel on a high. So hear this. Jesus calls and he says that he is to be Lord. And so we see this very clearly in this story, in this letter rather, to Thyatira. We see this very clearly that Jesus is saying, I am Lord. I am the one who you need to have allegiance with. And there is no such thing as me plus something else. It's me. Or apparently you don't have me. It's him. And he's calling us to lay things down, even tonight, to give those things up. And some of you, your heart is being stirred even now, before I've even convinced you fully. Because you know Jesus is calling you to him. And this makes so much sense all of a sudden in the stories that we've been hearing, in the language that we've been hearing. Because this makes sense that if Baal worship and the thing about Jezebel... And the idea that you can have Jesus and all the other things and you can just live how you want and not live according to the Bible, according to the standards that God has laid out and not live according to his new story. This idea that you can have both and, Jesus cuts through and all of a sudden we understand very clearly how Ephesus began to lose their first love. Because they bought into this compromise of Jesus and And then now we know why Laodicea was neither hot or cold. That they had lost their passion. And they were neither hot and healing or cold and refreshing to the world around them. Because they have allowed their love to grow cold. And Jesus is on the outside of the door. Knocking, asking to come in. See, this is a picture of a lover, of a husband, of one who loves his bride, his church, and is calling to them and saying, I will not be satisfied with anything else than less, anything less than all of you. Let's put this in real practical perspective. I would never be satisfied in sharing my wife with anybody My wife is not allowed to have me plus a bunch of other guys. My wife is not even allowed to have me plus a bunch of other hobbies. I'm her hobby. I want her attention. I pull what I did, what my daughter used to do with me with the get her face and go, me, 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 me. I want her. My wife doesn't have these little random holidays where she goes out with the girls. Because I'm going, if you're going out with the girls, I'm coming. I don't care what you're doing. You're mine. Not obsessively. Passionately. But do you know I would not be satisfied if when we were out for dinner, if she was checking out every single guy in the place. You know, somebody would be getting smacked down. Just saying. Is that too violent for you? I meant all the other guys in the room. (laughs) This is so awkward, hey? Wow. 
Some of you are like, are you really that violent? You're a douche. You can't be Canadian. You must be American. What are you talking about, Sam? I know this gets really awkward really fast when you're talking about like a husband and a wife because most of you are like, oh, awkward city. What's he going to say next? Wow. But do you get it? How many people your dream of a, of a future husband or a future wife has to do with one that will have you and everybody else? Is that what we're all dreaming about? We're all like, oh, it's no big deal. Everybody's human. We all have our desires. <laughs> we have our feelings. <laughs> she can't help it if she wants other people. Well, I can sure help it if I don't think that's okay. I'll help it. See, this is, it gets ridiculous because you're looking at me and going, of course that's ridiculous. But it's something that we all do on a regular basis because we think it's okay to have Jesus and something else. Yet he's not one who can be competed with. Just like in my wife's eyes, I am not somebody that can be competed with. She cannot be competed with. In my eyes, our eyes are locked on to each other. That's it. We signed up for till death do us part. And that's the truth. Literally, it would take death. Now hear this. This is where it gets really interesting. Is that Jesus... Do you know how I got to that point? I didn't sit down and say, okay, here are the rules. Welcome to the first day of the rest of your life. When I married Maddie, I did not go sit down and go, well, here's the rules. You can't look at anybody else. You can't think about anybody else. If I even see you do that, we're done. We didn't do that. It was the passionate appeal of a lover of one who continued to draw and one who continued to spend time with, one who continued to show in my eyes that my eyes were for her. And one who continued to show for me that her eyes are for me. We do not have a weird distrust capacity. She knows everything that I do all the time and it's a constant growth and movement towards each other and it takes time. And let me tell you the craziest thing about marriage, especially marriage with intentionality and marriage that is moving towards the goal of constantly going deeper and in more love and passionately moving towards this. The greatest thing about this is if I remember when I first got married, I would honestly look at it and go, I didn't even know what I was doing then. It's so different now. It's so amazing. I mean, my wife can anticipate every one of my thoughts. It's a happy game for me. Because she'll go, I'll, just, I'll walk into the room and go, guess what I'm thinking? She'll go, probably this, but you might have thought this, and please don't think that. <laughs> and I'm like, it, like, she just knows me so well. She knows the sound of my voice. She spent so much time serving me and loving me. She knows the sound of my voice. Do you know that I have a nacho sound Maddie call? Did, did everyone pick that up? I have a nacho. Do you know what nachos are? Lots of cheese, lots of spices, happy chips and cheese together. They go perfectly with wings. Mmm. 
We okay? Okay. And uh, anyways, do you, do you know that there's a sound in my voice that I can actually show you that Maddie will know it's time to make nachos? I can just literally, it'll sound kind of like this, Maddie. That's actually too obvious. It's a little less like that. It's more like Maddie. <laughs> and she goes, it's nacho time. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, baby. Do you know that she's learned the sound of my voice when I'm su- I've had a super bad day and it's not because my voice is down? She just pick it up on the phone. She spent so much time with me in that way. And there's this constant movement towards each other. You guys picking this up so far? Okay. That's, this is every girl's dream. To have a relationship like that is every boy's dream. To have a relationship like that. We long to be known because we were created for intimacy. And so the story of Christianity is one of restoration of intimacy. And do you know me participating in marriage with my wife is picturing the kingdom of God to this whole generation. It's a story in and of itself. And it's a story that needs to be heard and needs to be read And it's a story, just our story alone has caused people to go, I will love and serve Jesus all the days of my life. Do you know how people invite us to weddings just so that we're there? Because of our love for each other and they want somebody that loves each other at their wedding? Is that too much to say? Do you know that there is this ideal that we can push for. And do you know at this point in my marriage where I go, could it get any better? I'm, th- I'm pushing for what was God's design for marriage and what was it supposed to look like? And I'm probably not even scratching the surface. And yet I'm progressing in a way that I just can't even handle. I love it. It's so much fun. It's incredible, incredible to be known and to be loved. And Jesus is making that call, and it's the call of a lover. Do you know there's a crazy, crazy story in this? It's the call of a lover who will not be satisfied with anything less than all of you. For those of you that know some of my story with Maddie, you'll know that some of our story is a story of redemption. And a different style of a picture of the gospel. And it's one that's incredible. And interestingly enough, and I have permission to share this part anyways, is that interestingly enough, Maddie for the longest time in our marriage couldn't separate me and Jesus from being any different. So her love and worship of Jesus was actually formed into a love and worship of me. Interestingly enough. That sounds really weird and very honest. But she just adored me to the point of going like, well, I just love him so much and he was a part of saving me and then I just love Jesus so much because he saved me and they're just like the same thing. And you know what happened in our marriage? Is Jesus came towards her like a jealous lover and said, you can't have him over me. And you know that was one of the scariest places for my wife to occupy? Because she didn't know what the other side of it was going to look like. She didn't know, would she lose the affection that she has for me? Would she lose the life that she has for me? Would I one day wake up and go, I don't like you anymore. And yet, 
Jesus began to move her on a journey of separating himself from me in this way, that in her eyes, she had to make a choice and a conscious decision that she would love Jesus above all and above everything else, including me. And she had to literally give me up because it was never going to be Jesus plus Sam equals eternal life. It was always going to be Jesus only equals eternal life and eternal happiness and eternal joy. And in the midst of that, healing and life and reconciliation took place. And it's just incredible because in the Gospels, in several places of the Gospel, there's this scary phrase that comes to us that says, if you try to hold on to your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for the sake of the gospel, you will receive true life. And in the moment she decided, and I can remember the day because life was different, our marriage took off to a greater place than I could have ever imagined because all of a sudden, Maddie laid me down. And she said, all I want is Jesus. And no matter Sam's reaction, and no matter my life and what the way I am, I want Jesus. And even if Sam said, we're done with Jesus, we're walking away, she would follow him no matter what I said. And instantly, a greater love than we ever could have imagined exploded into our hearts. Another level. Another moment. Crazy. Because the thing about the kingdom of God is that when you let go of the things that you're holding on to, as scary as you might think that is, because you don't know what the other side of it looks like, he's the God who gives you abundant life. Therefore, what he gives you is better than what you were holding on to. It's better, even if it means it looks worse. The prospect of it could look worse, but it's better. But it's better. And Jesus moves like a passionate lover with eyes only for you and you having eyes only for him. And with eyes like a flame of fire, he will not be satisfied with anything less than all of your attention and all of your affection. And the truth is that as you let Jesus into that space, you have the capacity to truly love because Jesus is love. And any love that's outside of Jesus' love is not actual love. It's a concept and a feeling. And we see the world constantly demonstrating that. Jesus' love is absolutely, passionately pursuing complete fidelity, faithfulness, purity. It's not Jesus and you get to keep all your stuff. It's Jesus, and he'll lead you to what stuff that you get to hold on to or what you have to give away or give up. And that might sound like a very scary grown-up decision. But the offer that's on the table is better than anything you can imagine. And the story of the gospel is that this life is not the only life that we will have. Rather, we will move in him and in the restoration of this world, of this life. 
And we get to what Thyatira was promised, that if we overcome with him, and if we put away that stuff of Jezebel, Baal worship, where it's Jesus plus all the things that we want, all our idols, all of our false identities, all of our feelings as if they're facts, our desires as if they're normal and natural. Jesus comes at it and says, no, there are certain desires that you have that will lead to death and destruction. Proverbs 14 says, there's a way that is right in a man or woman's eyes that leads to death. Seriously. Awesome words. What an invitation that if you're living according to his way, that apparently leads to life. And life to the full. So this isn't like a, well, if you're living by your own opinions and standards, you're just an idiot. It's rather, come see what Jesus is calling you towards because you haven't touched anything yet. It's going to get better. And that's why camp causes you to touch that world even for a moment. And then when you go home, it gets contended with. And you start adding in new things or old things again. And then it's Jesus and all the feelings you had at camp when you put on a worship CD and the rest of your life. Jesus is not satisfied with Sunday church attendance and the giving up of a few things and then the rest of your life you live according to your own world. And I think that we've done ourselves a disservice by actually calling devotions Jesus time. Your whole life is meant to be Jesus time. There is not one moment of my wife's day or my day that it's not Maddie time and it's not Sam time. When I am around, it better be Sam time and it's not like when I leave to go to work that now it's a different time. In Maddie's world, it's all Sam time. And in Sam time, my girls get to be invited, my son gets to be invited into Sam time. My, my wife will say it all the time to them. It's all about Sam. Isn't that exciting? What a happy world. Some of you are just like, you are egotistical. What are you doing? <laughs> it's all about that. We invite our kids into that world. And more importantly, in our world, it's all about Jesus. So there isn't a moment of the day that isn't Jesus' time. It's all his time. Do you see the difference? It's not like when you open your Bible and you turn to Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 and you go, this is the time I'm giving you, Jesus. There you go. You can have it. Okay, now I'm done with you. And you move on. No. It's all Jesus' time. The Bible says that we live and move and have our being in him. You're tracking with me so far. So last night at camp, we're almost done. Are you ready for this? This is it. Do you know that what the book of Revelation, okay, the book of Revelation, what it is all about, the whole thing, is it better, when anybody preaches it, it better puts you into a better understanding and revelation of who Jesus Christ is, where he is in the center of our world, in our life, and how close he is to us. It better puts you at his feet. Otherwise, you're preaching the book of Revelation wrong. You're explaining it wrong. And every image in the book of Revelation, even the scary ones, I don't know how many people are familiar with the scary images of Revelation, the beasts and the dragons and all that stuff. All of that is to sharpen this either-or choice in our life where it's Jesus 
only. Where it's all that he is and all that he has, and it's his life, not both and. It's either or. And it's to sharpen that choice in our life that we're either to walk in the fullness of the Lamb of God who has overcome and follow his ways even if they look weak and foolish and they don't seem to make sense. Or by nature we are participating in the way of the dragon that's an image in Revelation and his apparently wise and profound and enlightened ways. We participate in Christ and his life and it's this either or choice Jesus is driving towards you tonight. It's a choice. It's a decision to go, I want Jesus. And so many of us, our hands are so full of stuff and desires and often our hands are so full. Many of you aren't even concerned about what it would look like to die for your faith. Many of you just don't want to give up your boyfriend or your girlfriend that you're fooling around with. You're going, oh, but if I really love Jesus, that means I probably have to stop doing that. And guess what? You're the prophet of your own life. Of course you do. Because what you do with your bodies affects your life, affects your soul. It's not even rocket science. You know that your heart begins to numb towards Jesus after you've made out with your boyfriend and your girlfriend. You know that certain movies do not stir your heart towards Christ. And it's not fun control, it's life It's life on the line. And the story the generation needs to hear today, they are longing for you to rise up and go show me what it looks like to live for something. Not show me what it looks like to be a lame sauce Christian that just gives up everything and walks around and goes, duh, 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 duh. Not those Christians. Life Christians. Do you know what our world is fascinated by with Netflix and things like that? Is stories, real stories of people that have become the best and they had to give up everything as a result of becoming the best. They've done it well. And we love those stories, but we don't want that life. Some of the most famous NHL players, famous basketball players, famous musicians, they were the ones that never went to the parties, never had a boyfriend or a girlfriend. They never did the things normal people do. They lived by a different story and they gave it up for the sake of something greater. And they didn't live according to the wisdom of the world at that time. Saying, well, this is what normal teenagers do. One of my most favorite basketball players was told even by his parents, why don't you just go out and be normal for once? Be normal for once. And he goes, if I'm not practicing right now, somebody else is and they will get my scholarship. They will get my position. And they lived by a different story and he would play until his hands bled. One of my new favorite drummers learning about this story of this young man who actually learned to become one of the best drummers that we've ever known. He played and played and played and played and played until he couldn't handle it with his stick. Like he couldn't hold his sticks anymore. He'd have to ice his hands and then he'd pick it up again and just keep going. A jazz drummer. And we all love those stories, or at least I do. 
I'm like, oh, that's amazing. As I'm stuffing my face with nachos. <laughs> Look at that guy. <laughs> oh, I'm giving up that stuff. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Maddie, where are those chicken wings? Are they ready yet? What am I giving up? And what am I even going after? Do you know YouTube has done us such a disservice? I love the access that we have to stuff. But you know what it causes you to think in your mind? It causes you to think that you instantly get there. How many people know the uh, Pentatonics, the singing, the, the band, the Pentatonics? They're just, you don't have to know, okay? Now, I used to think singing, of all things, is something that just comes naturally to people. Either you sing or you don't, right? You're either good at singing or you're not good at singing. Do you know that the girl on the pentatonics, and I, I wasn't planning on telling you this, I'm just trying to build this out a little bit. Do you know that she's trained and she was training for seven years in school to master eight-part harmonies? And I went, huh? Eight? There's eight-part harmonies? I thought that there was high, low, and somewhere in the middle. At least that's what we know in church. I love church singing. <laughs> it's like, get the overloud harmonizer blasting it out, and usually it's me. Anyways, um, the, the idea that this harmony thing, eight-part harmonies, I didn't even know that existed. And she studied for seven years, and then you see this girl blow up on the scene. All of those people, all of those people worked and worked and worked. That, the, the black guy that can do all those crazy sick beats, and then you find out he's got even a better voice. You're like, what? Do you know what he used to do all the time? He would practice that something like eight hours a day. And we just think, well, either you can, either you can do it like that, it's like no big deal. And you're like, oh, and then you hear him and you're like, oh, wow. Now, I know not everybody knows who that is. But what you need to understand is that there's a cost to everything. And you will never go there. And somehow we bought into the story that you naturally fall into a Christian life. That you make a decision. You go, yes, Jesus, I'll follow you. And then you're just like, and now I'm a Christian and now I actually am just like everybody else. And we devalue the labor and the work and the intensity of what it means to grow in the faith. Yes, you've been given everything you need for life and godliness, but you're to supplement your faith. You're to add to it. You're to constantly move towards constant growth. You don't accidentally fall into holiness. You discipline your body. Do you know that Paul writes to the church of Thessalonians and he, you know what he says? He says this, and this is very profound for tonight. He says, all right, church, and I'm going to paraphrase it. He says, all right, church, do you want to know what the will of God for you is? You want to know what you're called to in this generation? And they're probably, I just imagine them going, yes, tell me what I'm born for. Tell me what I'm born for. How many people would love that? Apostle Paul walks in the room and goes, I'm just going to tell what, what will just bring Jesus so much delight and joy and will cause you to be a great witness in this generation. How many people would like to hear that? The will of God. Some of you are scared about what I'm about to say. You're like, oh, I don't know about this. Keep my hand in my pocket. I'm too cool. Do you know what he says? He says, God's will and passion for you is to control your sexual organs. 
You know what organs are? <laughs> Brandon, would you put up the image that I have for you? I'm joking, joking, not funny. <laughs> oh, like a wave, like a wave. Oh man, you're like, seriously, what's he gonna put up there? This is my 10th year at camp. Might be my last. <laughs> I'm joking. Can you handle this? Do you know what he says? He says, I want you to control your bodies. Commentators can't handle it. They cannot handle it. They hate translating that word. And my most favorite thing is when preachers have to preach it and they're like, they read it through like, <laughs> control your because if you've studied it all, you look at that word and you're like, I know what that word is. That's a funny word. That word means, you can imagine, it means your sexual organs. I'm not going to, it means, never mind. <laughs> Rather keep you guessing. Put it both for boys and girls though. It means control yourself. And guess what that is? Jesus is actually saying to that church, that's your job that's going to bring me great pleasure, great delight. The word will of God in that kind of a setting, and when you pray, God, let your will be done, it means his good pleasure and his delight for this world means that you'll control that. You'll deal with it. That your natural desires do not matter. You control it. Because life would be a very painful place if we were allowed to just control, like do whatever we desired in the moment. Wouldn't it? And that's what he says. He goes, no, you got to control it. This is, your, this is the purpose of your church. To be living by a different story. Because in that day and age, like our day and age, it was the biggest hookup, shack up, and break up world. And that was what they invested in their culture. That was every religion that they had. It was this constant place of over-sexualization. They had pornography then. They had crazy people drawing it on the walls, in the bathroom stalls. No, I'm serious. You think that you figured out graffiti? <laughs> these guys, this guy, some of these guys' graffiti lasted 2,000 years. You can't even keep it up in the cabin till next year. Brandon and Jordan going in there, Bruh, you're done. <laughs> 2015, nothing. Do you see, do you see this, is, this is a big deal? Do you know most of you have probably never considered that you bring joy to Jesus when you say no to sexual temptation? Do you know that most of you consider that it's like, well, it's just a natural thing and I just got to take care of it. Everybody else is doing it. Do you know that you bring joy to Jesus? When you turn something off and it turns something off that you're watching or an image that you're seeing or a song, it actually forges something in you and it's not you being pretentious and it's not you being lame and it's not you walking around with an I Love Jesus t-shirt and a WWJD bracelet, which if you need to do it, feel free. <laughs> but it's you actually changing the culture around you. Do you know I don't have a lot of these kind of stories, but do you know there was a young lady when I was growing up that got saved because I walked out of a movie? And she followed and asked, why would you leave that movie? And I was like, because that movie is everything that Jesus hates. 
And she's like, who's Jesus? I was like, let me tell you. Now, do they all work out that way? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Do sometimes you walk out of a movie and they go, you're the lamest person on the planet, you douche. I like the word douche. And they say, do, do you know that they, they might make fun of you more and more? And do you know what happens when you get made fun of for the right things? The Spirit of God and his glory rests upon you. I know we get fired up when it has to do with, like that video even today is just like, oh yeah, I die for my faith, I'm in. I'm like, yeah, but what do I, how do I live it? How do I live it on a day-to-day basis? Like, do you know that God's grace is sufficient enough for you in the moments that you live? He says this crazy thing, that there's not one temptation that comes near you that is not common to everybody, and every single one of them, there's a way of escape. There's a way of escape. There's a way to get out of it, and it's actually built for you to move towards Jesus in. And every time you say no, and every time you say yes, rather, to everything that Jesus has in the face of the things that you think your heart longs for, you begin to train yourself to living according to a different story, and you begin creating a new narrative that everybody is longing for. Nobody wants the hookup, shackup, breakup story. Nobody. I don't care who you are and what TV show. That's why they all cry on every TV show, and they go, my life is over. It's the worst. Because it is the worst. Nobody wants that story. And all of us live according to this idea of like, well, maybe that's just a story I have to do and it's just the way it is. It's just life. I don't want to judge them. Yeah, but why don't you let them judge you? Stop thinking about, well, I don't want to judge them. Why don't you let them judge you and go, I'm going to live according to Jesus' standards, Jesus' plan, Jesus' life. Because that's what he's asking for tonight. I feel like I was... Part of why I'm here at camp this week is to challenge you to see your faith grow into maturity in a way that I'm giving you permission to live according to a different story tonight. The either or story. Jesus or nothing else. It's not both and. Please hear that tonight. You're not getting away with anything. He's the God who stands in the middle of the churches. You're not getting away with it. And we're not to be driven out of fear of punishment. We're to see his purity and his life and his mercy and go, oh, you are that good. I want your life. I want your life. David and Heather, could you guys come on up here? It'd be fantastic. Listen to this tonight. And maybe you want to close your eyes for a moment. Do you know in this story, we actually get the definition of what it means to be an overcomer or a conqueror? What the, every one of the churches is called to do, we actually get the definition. And it's keeping Jesus' words to the end. Keeping Jesus' words to the end. Even in the midst of being rejected, made fun of, frustrated, 
in the time of delay. It's holding on to his words until the end. And the only way you can actually hold on to these words and the only way you can actually live according to his plan is by putting Jesus before your face and keeping him there. Keeping him there. And that's why at the very beginning we began with who is Jesus really? What does he look like and what does that mean he's calling us to? Because some of you heard the sharp sword and if you heard the words the sharp sword out of his mouth, it means he's doing battle with the lies that have been coming in your mind and there's some things that you need to repent of and let go of because you are filled with untruth in your brain. Not condemnation, invitation to change. Isn't that crazy? If you heard eyes like a flame of fire and that was your image, it means that he's gonna be pure and purifying every area of your life. And he wants your vision on him and off the other images that you've been looking at. He wants you to be consumed with passion. And this is what he says to the church in Thyatira. He holds himself up and he says, I'm the son of God. In that phrase, in that world, it's he's saying he is a God. And if you look at him, you get God. John 14, 9 says, if you've seen the Father, you've seen, I mean, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. And his eyes like flames of fire. This is what he gives the church of Thyatira. Eyes like a flame of fire, pure and purifying. He's the one who searches the mind and the heart. It means he searches your entire being. The word mind there is kidneys. It means he's searching out every area of your life. And he looks at you and through you, even through all your facades. And feet like bronze, which means that he can run after you. He's not going to let you go. He's going to chase you. He's going to move towards you constantly. And as he moves towards you, because it's like from the flame of fire, the burning feet, it burns up the very evil and the stuff that you are struggling with. We're to hold up before our face tonight that Jesus, the God who is merciful, he even says about that lady Jezebel, he says, I've given her time to repent, but she refuses refuses the Lord of life, wants to hold on to her world more than Jesus. And yet he is that merciful that he gives her time to turn around. This is the God who gives according to your deeds, your works. He honors your choices that you make. That how you treat your family, how you spend your money shows where your desires are. The shows that you watch, the stuff that you listen to. What we do with our boyfriend and our girlfriend. All that stuff actually matters. And he gives to us according to that. It's not saved by works. It's called, it's called grace. And he's the one who gives incredible promises. That if we overcome with him, we will rule with him. And that he will give us the bright and morning star and that bright and morning star basically it's the star that comes out at night right before the dawn at the greatest point of darkness you might feel Jesus later in Revelation says he is the bright and morning star and he brings in the sun 
He ushers in the dawn. And this morning star, it might feel like that for you, that the greatest point of your darkness, your frustration, and your pain, Jesus is saying, I'll give you as you overcome in this, as you conquer in this, as you hold on to my word, I will give you myself. I will give you the morning star because there's a limit to this time. You will not have to endure forever. Time is short. You need to pay attention to his words because they're cutting through the false stories that life is just going to go on and on and we're just going to keep living in this world. Time is short. Jesus says he's coming soon. Therefore, we don't have time to be fooling around. And yet we have all the time in the world to pursue him and his call and his purpose for us. And so tonight, I know that you're concerned with, you're concerned with a lot of things that aren't even big deals in your mind, but they're things that are like, I don't know what life would look like if I had to let that go. And tonight, I believe that Jesus is calling you to make an either or choice. It's been 10 years of me preaching at this camp and I believe that Jesus is calling you, he's calling me to make an either or choice which means I'm gonna have to let certain things go yet again to pursue him more fully. Remember, the Hebrew says, throw off every weight and every sin that easily entangles. Get rid of it. Because it's not about, well, what about this sin and what about that sin and is this sin greater than that sin? It's about how you get to run if you let go of this stuff because it's stopping you from running. And the thing about the weights, that there are things in your life that aren't necessarily bad things, but to you they are weights and they are hindrances. There are certain TV shows that actually you probably say, well, I watch this TV show and it's not a big deal. But the amount that you watch it, is a weight that turns you off from Christ. It's the amount. Weights, there's a difference between weights and there's a difference between sins. And the sin entangles and it trips you up, but the weights slow you down. And each one of those you need to get rid of so that you can run. And I believe it's all about running tonight. It's all about running tonight. And so what I wanna do to end is I want to put before you tonight Jesus who's calling you whether you fully feel like it or not to choose him. And this is not crowd pressure like, oh, I better choose him because I'm at a Christian camp. When I'm saying choose him tonight, I'm saying I want you to stand when you're ready to say, I choose you, Jesus. And I want you to look around after. I want you to see people that are choosing Jesus. And I want you to be the biggest encouragement to them that you could possibly be. That you would help them for the rest of your life run. I'm amazed at how many people I'm still connected to at this camp. My high school, I hang out with one person. This camp, a whole lot more. Crazy how that works. So I don't know if I'm making this part clear, but what I'm asking tonight, what I believe, rather, Jesus is asking tonight, is I believe he's going, will you choose me? He's saying, who will it be? Tonight you're actually hearing those words, who will it be? Will it be your boyfriend or your girlfriend when you go back? Are you going to choose them or are you going to choose me? 
And you're going to go, what does that even look like? He'll tell you. He'll show you. What are you going to do when you go home? Are you going to choose Netflix binging? And just watch a whole bunch of shows that you got to make up for? Stuff that you PVR'd maybe? Are you going to do that or are you going to choose Jesus and continue to build on the stuff that God has implanted in your heart at camp? Went way longer than I wanted to tonight. I thought it was going to be shorter. But I believe and I'm trusting that he's, he's stirring your heart with the explanations and the stuff that I tried to show to choose Jesus. Because guess what? He's not going to be satisfied any longer with where you're at right now. He wants you. And you were born for him. And remember, the only way that you can hold on to life is if you choose him. It's the only way. So tonight, I usually try to keep away from anything that would seem like emotionalism or just doing something for the sake of it. But I believe so strongly in prophetic acts that as you rise from your seat tonight, that you are choosing Jesus. And if you don't want to choose Jesus, I'm not saying that you're not a Christian at this point. I'm saying if you're not choosing to go, I want Jesus only, it's not going to be both and anymore. It's going to be either or. I'm going all in for Jesus tonight. Then I believe the simplest prophetic act that you're going to do tonight is you're going to rise from your seat. We're going to continue to worship after, but I want it to just be a moment. And I want you to feel legendary in choosing it. I'm very serious. Because this is something that legends are made of. Because I believe that you're starting a whole new story tonight. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. You're going to start living according to a new story tonight. And as you rise and as you stand in this, I don't want you to look around right away. I want you to focus on Jesus and listen for his voice and feel a momentum. And so I'm going to pray. If you can just fade that down just for a second. Brandon, if you can cue that up. I'm going to pray. And I want you to stand in something tonight when you're ready. If you're ready. And I want you to feel tonight a momentum that is building and shifting. Because tonight you're going to choose going all in for Jesus. Come on. Are you ready? I'm going to pray. And when you're ready, you can stand. And you can begin to just lift your voice in praise, calling out Jesus. I know this is not a holy song, but we're redeeming it tonight. Because I heard tonight that it's the final countdown. That this is it. This is your time. This is your choice. Are you ready to stand? If you're ready, let's stand tonight. Go for it. Are you ready? <laughs> Father, I pray tonight for those that are standing and those that are beginning to stand, that you would fill them with the power of your Holy Spirit, that tonight you would let chains fall down and that we would hear your voice, we would see your face, that you would be Lord, that you would be glorified, that you would be holy, that you would be 
Our God, we choose you tonight. We choose you tonight. All right, you fade that down. Can we invite the band up? Can we invite the band up? Now, no, don't discount. Don't discount just for a moment, okay? As you're standing, and it's fun that there's lights out because I can't even see who's not. Don't discount the silliness of that song with something that shifted in your heart. Because I know you felt it. I felt it. Even when you laughed at my song. That was not in my notes. There's something that shifted. And I don't know how long we're going to go and worship tonight. But I asked the band that they would sing, listen to the chains fall down tonight. And I want you to do it again as a prophetic act. If you want to come forward tonight and declare the chains falling down off of you and lift your voice one more time in this camp, believing that life will look different because the story that lots of you have lived by is the story that says life is going to go back to normal and I am praying and you have churches praying for you and you have people praying that life is never going to be the same after this because you have met the real living Jesus. And so I want you to believe and pray tonight. Lift your voice, all emotionalism aside, and know that he is the God who hears. He's standing in the middle of this. And you can encounter him in every mundane moment and even crazy weird songs. Because he is Lord of all, not some, all. And so let's make that either or choice tonight as we sing.